Hello everybody and welcome back to Eyes on the Mize. My name is John and that's Ian. What is up? Not much. Today is February 23rd. We're recording a day late, which means you're getting this on Friday the 24th. Thanks, work. Work sucks. (laughs) Everyone knows. This is episode 51. Sorry, you were going to say something? Oh no, it's fine. Alright. This is episode 51. A limited look to drafts past and future. We're going to talk Constantark here because it is up on flashback since somebody forgot to bug test the past standard gauntlet. Shh. And Modern Masters 2017 because 17, 17 previews are starting on Monday. So we're going to hype that up a little bit too. Yeah, it's kind of sad that like the, uh, the flashback standard thing looked actually really interesting. And everyone's just like, oh yeah, oops. <laughs> it, it was funny. Uh, it feels like, well, here's the set with fetch lands in it. That's also just a great limited format. Have so, fun, guys. Yeah. I I have already partaken in two drafts of Konzotark here. Thank you very much. I have not yet because of aforementioned work-related things. However, I fully intend on taking advantage of it while it's out because, damn, KTK was fun. But first off, let's go eyes on the community. What happened this weekend, John? So we had two GPs going on, one in Vancouver, Canada, or Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and another in uh, Brisbane, Australia. I'm sorry, I don't know the provinces of Australia off the top of my head, because Australia is really far away from North America. I apologize. Uh, but all the... I know is all I know is New South Wales, and that's where Sydney is. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but the GP in Brisbane or Brisbane was piloted or was won by Lantern Control, Boo. piloted by Oliver Ox. Boo. And the one in Vancouver was won by Josh Utter Layton, who was piloting Death Shadow Aggro. B. A. Oliver. Boo Lantern. <laughs> I just have to clarify that. Uh, no, Lantern I, is a fun deck if you don't mind having every one of your opponents hate you. I mean, we've already talked about the deck. It's an amazing piece of community-built effort. It got some upgrades. Uh, what's the uh, tower from... Oh, Spire of Industry? Spire of Industry, yeah. And I think it that also uses... Uh, does it use Inventor's Fair? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My list on Magic Online currently runs two Inventors Fair, and it's real good. Dece. Yeah, so one thing, though, to mention, like you mentioned Death Shadow Aggro. It's not your granddaddy's Death Shadow Aggro. Oh. Thanks to the banning. This is not the version with four Cataxian Probe, four Noxious Revival, or four um, Mutagenic Growths, and call it a day. This is a more focused, only Jund-colored Death Shadow deck that tries to do a more grindy game. And it's playing four copies of Traverse the Uvenwald in it, which is really interesting. Spicy. So speaking of Noxious Revival, it actually spiked this weekend <laughs> out of nowhere. No Man, duh. Well, it's because of the it's because of the Cheerios deck. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, but uh, no, yeah, it's it's a pretty spicy list. I know. Uh, the so we gotta talk about this deck. Like it was the perfect meta call for the weekend. Uh, so Joshua Layton, Jerry Thompson, Sam Black, all p- placed in the top four. With this deck. With nearly nearly the same deck. Um, I say nearly the same because Sam Black and also have to mention Matt Nass over at the SCG Team Constructed event in Baltimore. Uh, they had a slightly different tweak to their list. They were playing actually four color with Renegade Rallier of Singleton yeah. in their deck. The other one were just straight super spicy. <laughs> but the deck just demolished. Like on camera, it was so impressive. Uh, the, it had the early game, late game, Tarmogoyfs were up at like seven eighths. It was disgusting. Yeah, they were playing Tarfire, which you may not know is a single red mana for a tribal instant with the goblin subtype that deals two damage to target creature or player, so that you get the extra bump of tribal for your Tarmogoyfs. Yeah, I was modding chat. I was actually act really, really active in chat this past weekend, and I honestly stopped count at like fifteen times of. What like everyone's like? Why is Tarfire? Why are they playing Tarfire? Not Shock or Lightning Bolt. It's like tribal. It's a tribal instant, guys. Extra thing for. Well, Gorf. it's strictly better than Shock because it's a Goblin. So. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, why isn't it like? Isn't that just Shock? Why don't they play Lightning Bolts? Like, no, it's just tribal guys. Like, oh right, yeah, more Gorf stuff. I'm like, yes, feeds the Gorf. It also feeds Delirium easier. Oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> Yeah, that Traverse, way you can, you can so do Fetchland, Mishra's Bobble, Tarfire, get Delirium on turn one. Traverse's Ovenwald is so good. Like, that, just pulling a Death Shadow from your deck or a Tarmogoyf is just bananas. Yeah. 
Uh, also, Dredge is not as dead as we thought it was because um, there were two in the top four at Brisbane, one of which was in the finals against Lantern Control, which has a really good matchup against Dredge. <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, actually, little bit. actually, they went to game three. Oh, yeah. I um, mean, it's not unwinnable for Dredge. No, I, f- uh, I, didn't, Dredge... Read sh- yeah, I didn't read the whole uh, match report because it was only text coverage for uh, Brisbane, but it was at the hands of Zen Takahashi. Uh who faced fellow MTG Mint Card team player and Dredge aficionado Lee Shi Tian. <laughs> yeah. Who, by the way, just conveniently top eights another GP. Lee Shi Tian is racking up quite the resume. Oh, yeah. And also, Josh Hutter Layton, who, by the way, is eligible first time for the uh, Hall of Fame this year. Basically, sure, he's going to get in. Yeah. I think he's got like what, um, five PT top eights or something like that. Like the, the something man, like that. He has he has the resume to get in. He's going to be a surefire Hall of Famer this year, which is great. The only concern there was that he was only a silver pro for this season. Oh yeah, this and lot. winning this GP <laughs> clinched it that he's going to be qualified for every PT for right. this season. Yes, that. Oh right. Okay, so this is the funniest thing. Like he could have potentially been inducted into the Hall of Fame, gone to the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, which takes place after the next Grand or P- Pro Tour. And not been eligible to play in that Pro Tour. However, thank God he qualified off of this. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah. uh, Raptor, buddy. <laughs> also, keep in mind, he is on uh, Channel Fireball Fire, which if he hadn't qualified, would have just been the goose egg for a team. His team would have been playing with the five men only. Yeah. Which which puts a lot of pressure on the other five. Yeah. Um, so other decks we saw, Merfolk, second place. Oh, yeah. At the hands of Jonathan Jacek, who is apparently... I didn't know... I I honestly have never heard of him before this weekend, but apparently he is, like, the go-to Merfolk YouTuber. Oh, yeah. So... I think that's, like, every single video on his channel is just him playing Merfolk. Well, no, yeah. And uh, he actually did a stream today with uh, Mrs. Mulligan. And he did a deck tech and breakdown and all that good stuff. So check out that other content, too. Yeah, it really kind of pushes the sense that Modern is kind of the pick-your-deck-and-know-your-deck format. Oh, so. yeah. If if you know the ins and outs, I mean, yeah, your deck will be soft to certain formats and stuff like that. Like, right now, I'm actually kind of planning to be at Grand Prix San Antonio, which is a Team mo- team Unified Modern um, event. I'm probably just going to play Infect. Potentially Burn. It really just depends on what, if, I, if I get teammates and what decks they're going to play. So, yeah. I mean, the best part about Infect is that the only part that it's really predatory with in terms of cards right now are its counterspell like suite. Like It's counter, counterspell suite, Noble Hierarch, and fetch lands. Yeah. But I, I can just take the Misties and one of the other green fetches and just be fine with it. Oh, yeah. Run, run, Anyways. And run an extra basic instead of the other fetch. But no, it's if you know your deck, like just practice with it. Any given oh, week, yeah. you, if you have... You're going to hit a wide variety of decks, so you could just get a lucky streak and just hit all your good matchups. Just play what you want to modern. Good and, stuff. And continuing on from one of our eyes on the community last week, uh, the Play It Forward campaign was continuously giving out prize support to the highest performing um, non-male competitor. So we're gonna, that's, had that's a women. quite the race at GP Vancouver. Yes, that's women and uh, non-binary. Yes. So... It, it both we had two women place tw- uh, go twelve and three due to breakers. Chantel Campbell placed twenty fourth over Jen and I don't have her last name, but she placed twenty eighth. So very close on breakers, very close. Uh, also, we will have a link down in the show notes because Chantel did an excellent GP recap uh, on Mana Deprived on her experience that weekend with her Naya Breach Titan deck. So this is trying to use uh, Through the Breach, which is kind of a one, one-time one uh, sneak attack um, to put Primeval Titan into play as quickly as possible and then do Primeval Titan shenanigans because those are always fair. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely, totally fair. Yeah, it also has like stuff like Nahiri to help you you know dig through your deck. It's got Valakut, so you're going to get the... Um, it has a Singleton Scape Shift, which is kind of spice. I just realized that Nahiri's ultimate can get Primeval Titan to get the ETB attack with it and then return it to your hand to play it again mm-hmm she also is playing a singleton prismatic omen which is the one in a green enchantment that lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their other types vomit 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 hey john what's the rules on the that with blood moon <laughs> vomit 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 i think <laughs> it's probably i think it's probably a time stamp i don't know i think that's i think your lands just have every basic land type but your non-basic ones are still mountains i'm not sure 
it might just be, end up being timestamps. I'd have to check. Because <laughs> remember, Prismatic Omen potentially fights with the all your non-basics or mountains clause uh, of uh, Blood Moon. So nice little headbutt there. Not, yeah. not quite. My first instinct not, is, not quite, without looking it up, is timestamps, whichever one comes in most recently, takes precedence. It's, it's not quite. That's my first instinct. It's not quite the Opalescence one, but. No, it's not quite Opalescence uh, humility. Ugh, that's also dumb. <laughs> oh, she's also wanting a Singleton Emrakul, which is pretty cool. It's a good, it's a, it's a nice little read-up. Uh, check it out. She was actually, they'd done a previous uh, write-up on her preparation for it uh, from her top eight at a face-to-face games 3K. So check it out. Ooh, fancy. Yeah. Anyways, let's go ahead and move on to our main topic. We're talking about drafts past and future because we have Cons of Tarkir flashback drafts happening right now in Magic Online. They started, yes, they started on Wednesday. Yesterday for us, and they're going to go on till March 1st, so you get a week, so go play as much as you can because the format is fantastic. I mean, it's one of the first major draft formats. I mean, I had, like, the Theros block, but, like, this is, like, of the drafts that have been out since I started playing again back right after Return of Ravnica and M14, this is my de- this is my jam, like, of oh, the yeah. drafts that I've ever done online and drafting ish in general, like I've drafted Consul Tarkir the most. Yeah. So it came out in the fall of 2014 uh, and is the only wedge focused set that we have out for Magic Online, which, again, for those of you who may not have been around for the cons, you take a color, you look at its two enemies, and you look at how those cards interact in their own little three color set. Yes. Yeah, so you have like the shards like from the Alara block, those are the three that are touching each other. So this is going to be the one... When you look at the, the lovely back of your cards, it's the pick one dot and then the two that are directly across from it. Yeah. So Abzan being white with uh, green and black. Uh, Jeskai, which is blue, white, and red. Sultai, which is uh, blue, black, and green. Uh, Mardu, which is red, white, and black. And then Teemer, which is blue, red, and green. Now, these had names prior to these, but it was like Dega and... Off of the Volver series from Invasion Block. Yeah, like Dega, Nega, and some other weird names. But there's like Necra. No, Necra, that's what it was. Yeah, it. Uh, let's just put it this way: these are a lot better. Everyone's like, "Oh my god, how are we going to remember it?" And now everyone's just like, "It's old hand." It's like, yeah, Abzan colors. Like, okay, cool. We know what you're talking about. And yes, they also had like other names, like uh, black, green, white was called Junk. Yes. Uh, red, white, blue was called like American or French, French or whatever. Uh, the only one of those that didn't have a great name was uh, Red, White, Black. And Mardu is infinitely better than all the other names for that color. Trio, oh yeah, the, the one, trio. the one you'll probably like. People remember, is, you know, Sultai, Bug, Bug, yeah. <laughs> like and bug, then Teamer's of, Rug, and of the Bug Delver, and yeah, Teamer was Rug Delver. Like those were where you used to hear it. Now there's Sultai Delver, Teamer Delver, because yeah, I mean there are people who still use Rug and Bug, but I mean yeah. it's just really naming convention. Yeah, but we're gonna talk about the draft and in limited. We know how limited works. Open a pack, take a card, pass to the left. Do that, pass to the right, pass to the left again. And in Limited, you care more about commons, you care more about uncommons, because you don't get a lot of rares, and you kind of try to play off the themes of the set. And since the themes are these wedge color pairs, what Wizards did is they made it so that your kind of optimal draft strategy is to try to position yourself through taking cards into an enemy color pair. That way, depending on what other color might be open, you can pivot into one of the two clans. So, for example, if you start drafting black and green cards, you can easily pivot into, say, Obzon by taking white cards, or you can pivot into Soltai by taking blue cards. Yeah, and to, to accomplish this, you had to have good fixing. Like, you can't do three color, and what we later discovered, five color was possible, uh, without some insane fixing. So they reprinted, they did functional reprints of the old refuge lands, which are, it's just a, this, and this is why it was huge, they were common, Enter the battlefield tapped, but when it enters, you gain one life, and it was of all ten mana co- combinations, uh, two mana yeah, combinations. So any two-color pair, they have a land for that, as well as the five tri-lands at uncommon as well. Yeah, and those are obviously in the clan colors, like the you know bug color, rug, mardu, all that good stuff. Um, great to get that kind of fixing, especially for certain decks. You never, you never, you, odds are you won't see those tri-lands outside of the draft format. Um, I know I actually run one of those in my Highlander deck just because it's fixing in Jeskai. So, but. but the 
first thing you want to look for is you kind of want to look at what the themes of each clan versus color pair are. And each enemy color pair has its own strategy going on with it. Um, some of them are more well-defined than others. For example, Red-White is kind of a tokensy aggro deck that goes wide, tries to kill you with cards like Trumpet Blast, uh, and use cards like um, its Hordling Outburst or Take Up Take Up Arms, I believe is the name of the card. I want to double-check, just to make sure. Yeah. But, uh, but a lot of token things. And with the Red-White token ag- like aggro deck, you could kind of touch Black with the Mardu thing, and there was a... Well, we'll get into it, actually ponyback brigade in a second what Ugh. that one does but that's an amazing card for red white splashing black deck yeah the black white archetype was all about was one of the tribal synergies because of late wizards is trying to put some amount of tribal support into each block like kaladesh had the artificer tribal theme um and then bfz kind of had the eldrazi tribal theme and shadows of innistrad had the monster tribal themes and human tribal uh and cons it was warrior tribal and that was focused in the black-white color pair, mostly emblematic in the two black-white uncommons of Chief of the Scale and Chief of the and Chief of the Edge. Uh, Chief of the Scale was black-white for a 2-3 that gave all your warriors plus 0, plus 1. And Chief of the Edge was a black-white for a 3-2 that gave all your other warriors plus 1, plus 0. Yeah, if you got those out, if you got if you were lucky enough to get the combo of those and give us like a static like lord across two bodies, like it it was interesting how nice that actually interaction was because usually like you have a lord which is a nickname for other creatures of that particular type get plus one plus one having it spread across two bodies meant you had to kill one or the other and then hope to kill the other one as well so it was a little more resilient to removal usually i would yeah. i would go for chief of the scale or first because that just makes blocking hellacious oh yeah and there are other uh warrior tribal payoffs for example rush of battle was a common that was just four mana sorcery. Your, your creatures get plus two plus one, and all your warriors get lifelink. Oh, uh, that card was silly. God, that card was goofy. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the color pairs, uh, the black green color pair was toughness matters. Basically, four plus toughness usually involved your creatures dying or coming into play or some variation thereof. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of very powerful uncommons built around that. Um, for example, one of the ones. That's my favorite we'll get to later is Karu Bloodsucker, um, which is, pr- yeah, it's, it's definitely my favorite uncommon in the entire set to draft with. It's not bad. It's just so much fun. Uh, after that, blue-green was the morph uh, color pair because one of the big mechanics that tied everything together was morph. Uh, and we'll get to how, why morph is really important a little bit later. Um, but basically, needless to say, morphs played a huge role in how this set pl- in how this set drafted and everything like that uh and then blue red was just kind of a kind of the generic tempo strategy it didn't really develop too much in triple cons but when fate Forge came out blue red became a little bit more um cohesive blue red a little bit more viable in fate cons draft blue red tempo was like my favorite deck like oh, hand, same hand. hands down blue red x was like amazing yeah um, Especially getting uh, Goblin Hillcutter and Teamer Battle Rage in Fate Reforce just made that whole archetype just churn. Disgusting. So, yeah, we mentioned the wedges. Now they each have like mentioned the names. They are associated with a clan. Now each of the clans have a couple cool little cards based around that. Each one of those is a three mana uh, enchantment called the Ascendancy Cycle. Um, each one was represented in each of the colors, but they had cool little things like Jeskai Synergy actually was like created a combo off deck archetype that is kind of weak now but like people quote unquote broke it with a, a fate stitcher but what it does is uh jeskai sensei is the jeskai color so it's blue uh blue red white enchantment whenever you cast a non-creature spell creatures you control get plus one plus one until end of turn untap those creatures whenever you cast a non-creature spell you may draw a card if you do discard a card so you can start churning through your deck casting non-creature spells Getting plus one plus one, untapping creatures. Uh, there are creatures like Fate Stitcher, like would tap, you know, and you untap it and you start generating like infinite mana to create all your spells. There was a weird loop you could do with that and have like just go wide with a bunch of tokens and then just bash for like infinite, quote unquote infinite. Yeah. Mardu Ascendancy, put a non- whenever a non token creature you control attacks, put a goblin token creature on the battlefield tapped and attacking. That was an annoying part. And you can sacrifice this one to get. To all your creatures get plus O plus three until end of turn, meaning like just 
wreck havoc with blocks. Sultai Sentency yeah. was probably like the least played of all of these. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top two cards of your library, put any number of them into your graveyard and the rest back on top of your library in any order. Just a weird scry, but not quite effect. Uh, yeah. Teamer Ascendancy, creatures you control have haste. Whenever a creature with power four or greater enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. Great, because that clan like will say wants beefy creatures. And Obzon yeah. Ascendancy, whenever it enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Whenever a non-token creature you control dies, put a one, one white spirit creature token with flying onto the battlefield. Now, each one of these kind of plays in with their core mechanical identity. John, what was Obzon's? So Obzon was built around the mechanic called Outlast. Uh, basically, you pay some mana, you tap the creature, and you put a plus plus one counter on the creature to make it a little bit bigger and kind of signify that they want to try to grind you out in the long game. Now, Outlast itself isn't super impactful, so they played it up with plus plus one counter synergies. So you have cards like Enoch Bondkin, which is one in the white for a 2-1 with Outlast for one in the white, and all your creatures with plus plus one counters on them get first strike. Now, which is incredibly powerful when you give your whole board plus plus counters for various means. Now, one thing about Outlast, though, and which kind of made it a very make it made it a weaker strategy to do, is that it had to be done at sorcery speed only. Yeah, it wasn't you, you surprise people. You, could, you, you had to do it. You couldn't go on your turn. You couldn't go block, trigger Outlast. It's like no, and there's also a tap ability too. So your creature had to not have summoning sickness. Yeah. So was, there were cards that played with it a little bit differently, but it was for the most part Outlast is a defensive ability, not an offensive one. It was kind of it was kind of a uh, weird in that you could potentially just like expose a creature to removal for a yeah. turn. It's like you it's like if you slammed a card that, a really good one that had um Outlast on it, like your opponent had one turn to get rid of it before it started getting beefy. Oh yeah. Uh, Jeskai was built around the prowess mechanic, which is, as we now know, kind of evergreen, and we're seeing it maybe not all the time in, in new sets, but we see it fairly frequently, which is simply, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this creature gets plus one, plus one till end of turn. Yep, we saw, um, we, you see that basically echoed in the, the ascendancy of uh, Jeskai. Yeah. Um, apparently, um, people kept asking why it doesn't give all your creatures just prowess, and the reason why is because of Magic Online. <laughs> Because that many triggers could get really annoying really fast. Oh, God. <laughs> Plus, what if you had a creature with prowess already? Yeah, exactly. Anyways. Oh, because uh, it, so prow- it wouldn't stack. Uh, prowess does stack. Oh, it does. Yeah, if you have multiple instances of prowess, that stacks. Well, then. <laughs> yeah. Um, I stand corrected. So prowess was very powerful. Just Guy was a very tempo-oriented strategy. I played, um, for, for a while in Standard, I played a Grixis prowess deck. It was pretty darn good. Yeah. Uh, Sultai was built around the Delve mechanic, which was coming back from Time Spiral, where you can exile cards from your graveyard to help pay the casting cost of spells. So the Delve spells tended to be overcosted, um, but had the ability to be cast for very, very little. Hey, kids, here's a note. Mana reduction is broken. Generally. In older formats. The older, Especially okay, in older, the formats. older the format gets, the more broken mana cost reduction gets. Uh, like there's some that are like fair, like convoke is fair. I'd say improvise is fairly fair. Delve is not fair. Yeah, so con- delve is so not fair. Say, convoke is a little less broken because you actually have to tap creatures and you take them out of the fight. It actually really does affect your board state. Delve just hits your graveyard. A lot of times you don't care about your graveyard. It is trivially easy to fill up your graveyard in certain older constructed formats. In limited, it's a little bit more fair. Like. Even though casting something like a turn three uh, Hooting Mandrills, which is a 4-4 Trample for five and a green with Delve, is possible and is doable fairly easily, um, it's not. It's a little bit more of an all-in strategy. For, as far but as filling up your graveyard to cast a bunch of cheap spells is something that the Sultai Clan does really well. Yeah, but as far as a limited uh, actual archetype goes, not that great. Remember, you're dealing with a 40-card deck, and the more you put in your graveyard, the less you're playing with it if you're just dumping stuff in your graveyard out of a 40 card deck you're just basically burning cards at that point and as people over the course of the format found out it was just better to use delve cards in other deck strategies as just like hey i'm doing my thing playing magic oh cool i have like five cards in my graveyard let me delve five of those away and cast a treasure cruise for two mana yeah it's wait still a very powerful mechanic yeah it's seven mana it would be 
Dolph- it's seven and a blue. So yeah, you would ca- you'd be casting it for three in okay, that case. Okay, three. But anyways. Uh, the Delve spells tended to get spread around. Like, doing a dedicated Delve deck is really hard because you only have so many cards you can put in your graveyard. <laughs> yeah. So playing, like, 12 Delve spells is nearly impossible. You usually want, like, one of, like, three to five. Yeah. Like, one of the premium removal spells was Murderous Cut. Still is. Oh, <laughs> still a great thing. Murderous Cut is, was it five and a black? Four and a Four black. Four and a black. Uh, destroy target creature. Yeah. Straight like, up. Single black mana kill a thing is really good. Unconditional kill spell. Odds are, by the time you want, like, your kill spell online to get it out cheap, you've probably traded a couple creatures. You've probably used a spell or two, so you're probably going to cost it for two or three mana. Like, if you could cast, like, a six to eight CMC Delve card for two to three mana, amazing value. Yep. The Mardu Clan was built around a mechanic that I really want to see again, and Mark Rosewater has promised we're going to see it again. I don't know when. Oh, thank God. I love this mechanic. Because this was probably one of the best received mechanics in the entire block. Raid. Mardu is aggressive. They want to kill you. Be so what does Raid aggressive. do? It rewards be, be you aggressive. for attacking. Yeah. Um, i trying to find one that has Raid on it real quick. Well, let's look at the card that, that they first showed us Raid on, which was... Where's the name? It's a red card. Here it is. Mardu Heart Piercer. Four, three and a red for a 2-3 human archer, which on its own in red is not very good, but... Raid. When Mardu Heart Piercer enters the battlefield, if you attack with a creature this turn, Mardu Heart Piercer deals two damage to target creature or player. Oh, yeah. So what this priced you into is like a lot of times with the Mardu decks or any kind of deck that had raid, so it would be a white, red, or a black card, to trigger the raid ability, you just had to swing. So a lot of times you would kind of prioritize getting cheap tokens out early and just like swing, just like you could be like, I'm just going to swing with a 1 1. You're, and your opponents are like, okay, I'm either going to throw away a token or I'm just going to chip in for a point of damage. And then you get the bonus in your second main. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, for an aggressive deck, you wanted to save your mana until your second main phase. Yeah, it was one of those weird, like, chump attack things where you, you know you're losing this creature, but you don't care because you're getting this raid benefit. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite raid creatures is Mardu Warstreaker. It's three oh, yeah. and a red for an Orc Shaman 3-3. Three, three. So you're thinking, like, all right, three and a three... Three, 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 three for four. All right, what's it do? When it enters the battlefield, if you attack with a creature this turn, add red, white, black to your mana pool. Just add a add Mardu to your mana pool. So you got you paid four, but got three extra mana back. Now with Morph, we're gonna cover what Morph is, but I kind of just have to spoil what it is. You cast a creature face down for three mana, so you could go. And it made three mana. Yeah, so you could go. Swing with a token, whatever. I put a 3-3 on the battlefield and a 2-2 on the battlefield. That could potentially do more later. Yeah. Insane value. Raid I was loved it. really valuable. Also, it just paired well with uh, the bird. Uh, yeah, Wingmate Rock. Wingmate Rock, so good. Wingmate Rock is the best creature in the set for limited. Absolutely. Might be the best card in the set for limited. Card's dumb. Straight dumb. If you see it and you're drafting it, take it. Okay, so it's amazing. All right, we're, we're gonna talk. We're talking it up. But we gotta see what it does. So, Wingmate Rock is three white white for a three four flyer. Right off the bat, not terrible stats. Not great. Not great. But it has raid. When if you would, like so when when Wingmate Rock enters the battlefield, if you attack with a creature this turn, put a three four white bird creature token with flying onto the battlefield. You copied it. It came with a buddy. And then, and that's then, not all. Yeah, it says, whenever Wingmate Rock attacks, you gain one life for each attacking creature. Remember, Mardu is the clan where you want to go wide and you want to smash and bash. If you go wide with tokens and you just turn Wingmate Rock sideways with like five or six tokens, you're gaining six life and just smashing their face. Oh, yeah. It is so, so good. good. Like, worst worst story I kind of ever had was one of the, uh, so is it, GP Vegas in limited, I did a mini masters where you get a pack, like you get a pack or whatever, you build a deck and you build like, you maybe shuffle some lands in, you have a deck, then you get another pack and each win you get, you get another pack and kind of hone your deck down. Well, I won round one, went to round two and just got demolished and it's only one game. So my opponent went turn f- f- four, so- Soren Solemn Visitor, which is one of the Planeswalkers is set, two white, black. Four, uh, for four loyalty planeswalker Soren. Three loyalty, I believe. Four. It's it it's four? four. I'm looking at it right now. 
<laughs> it's fine. So it's his plus his plus one is until the next turn, creatures you control get plus one plus one gain lifelink. That's fine. He might he didn't use that. He used its minus two. Put a two two black vampire creature token with flying onto the battlefield. I didn't really have anything on the battlefield at the time, so I'm like, alright, pass the turn back. He's like, plus one Soren, it's now a three three two flyer with lifelink, swing hit you for three. I'm like, okay. He plays a land, taps five mana, wingmate rock. I look at him. So I look at him. I'm like, "What?" <laughs> He's like, "Yup." And I'm like, "Congratulations. Have fun next round." <laughs> I I couldn't. Oh, that was so silly. Because remember, like he would then be he could just plus one swarm again and be swinging with a three two flyer, a four four flyer, and a four four flyer, and gaining three life on top of all that other life he just gained. It was bananas. B a n a n a s. Anyways. Um, the last clan is Teamer, and they had the Ferocious mechanic, uh, which was, the, it was a mechanic that didn't seem to be a big thing you built around because it keyed off of creatures having four power or more. The funny thing with Ferocious is that it was on mostly non-creature spells, and you would get weird benefits for them. For example, one of the better commons in the Teamer colors was Force Away, one of the blue for an instant return target creature to its owner's hand, but if you had Ferocious, you got to draw a card, and if you did, this card a card. Yeah, one of the really nice rares that I love seeing, like, not necessarily in cons, in triple cons, but, like, when you pick, when we were talking about that tempo deck from Fate, was Icy Blast, which is an X and a blue instant. Tap X target creatures. If you have, and it has Ferocious, if you control a creature with power four or greater, those creatures don't untap during their controller's next untap steps. So you could go to, like, turn five or turn six, have built your nice little board out with some chunky dudes, Pay five, like go, okay, declare tax, fine. Before blockers are declared, Icy Blast, tap down all your creatures, get in for a ton of damage, and then they aren't going to untap on their next unstep, and you can chunk in for a huge amount of damage again because they're only going to be able to play one or two more spells, and you're still going to have a bunch of your dudes on the board ready to swing. Yeah. And there were a lot of cards. In order to make this work, they had to have a lot of cards that kind of did a bunch of things in different archetypes. Uh, one of the best cards that embodied that is uh, Bloodfire Expert which is two and a red for a 3-1 Ifrit Monk with Prowess. So it's a Jeskai card. It has Prowess. But if you trigger its Prowess, it gets four power, which triggers Ferocious. Now, remember, also, if you have it... Also, it's an aggressive body that Mardu really liked. Yeah. So the thing with the Prowess, like we mentioned, it's a 3-1. All right, so how it works is you would cast your non-creature spell. Your spell will be on the stack. Then the Prowess trigger would happen, making it a 4-2... And then when the when your spell that you cast would check on resolution, it would see a four four uh, four power creature on the battlefield. So you would get it just casting a non creature spell meant that card would guarantee you ferocious. Yeah, it just it was he's good. Like I have to really give it to wizards. Like the little things like that in this set are so good. Oh yeah, it's just uh, so so much fun. And uh, the oh. the one creature I could remember with ferocious on it. Because I don't think there's any others in the set is Heir to the Wilds, which is one in the green for a 2-2 uncommon, human warrior with death touch. Bear uh, And ferocious, when it attacks, if you control creature to the power 4 or greater, it gets plus 1, plus 1 till end of turn. Bear with upside. Bears with upside. I, pl- I, played, it, I, I played it in standard. It was a solid card. It's really good. So now, each, oh, each of these clans, we, though, have like a leader, and they all, they're all mythic rares. They all do a bunch of things in their colors. Like We don't really have the time to dig deep into them but some of the ones that were really pr- impressive were Anna Fenza the foremost um, she was like at the helm of the Obzon decks 4-4 four, four human soldier for just uh, white blue green whenever Anna Fenza attacks uh, black green uh, white black green yeah right whenever Anna Fenza foremost attack put a plus one plus one counter on another target tap creature you control uh, if a creature card will be put into a opponent's graveyard from anywhere exile it instead so these cards potentially had hate it hated out on the Sultai decks because you know you can't dump a creature card in the graveyard and then get value out of it because it went bye-bye. Uh, I was drafting yesterday, and I ran against a CDC, uh, and it killed me. Oh, man. So CDC brute... CDC <laughs> is four mana, three, three, one, blue, black, green. Uh, when, it, when she enters the battlefield, you put the top three cards... Or attacks. You put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard. And then whenever a creature enters your graveyard from your library, you get a 2-2 zombie. Yes, yeah, so we mentioned that like, you don't want to delve a lot. She just enables delve, but at the same time, you get value out of it. It's not you're not just burning cards away. 
you're actually getting a little bit of value. Now remember, in standard from that time, she actually was on the CDC whip decks, like where you were looking to Hence dump their name CDC whip. Yeah, you were looking to dump it. It was the Sultai whip decks, but they played CDC. And I was on the Obzon whip deck, which yeah. basically you just dump stuff in your graveyard with Nyx Weaver from the previous Theros block, and you would just get insane value out of it. Uh, Zergo Hellsmasher just embodied the Mardu clan, two five mana creature, two red, white, black for a seven two with haste. <laughs> <laughs> he was basically a giant juggernaut because he attacks each combat if able and he has indestructible as long as it's your turn. So he's a 7-2 with haste. You see that two toughness and he's just like, I don't care. I got indestructible. What up? It says, whenever a creature dealt damage by Zergo Helm Smasher this turn dies, put a plus one plus one counter on him. He just gets bigger. He gets swole and you have to deal with him like right away. But, but right away on your turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, all of the cons are very powerful in their guild or in their clan. Uh, so if you see them and you're in those colors, you just take them because they're absurd. Yep. So good. Surak, one of the less um, played ones, but he was a beef, beef, beefy guy. But he, he shows up on Bear Punch later. But Better than Narset. Yeah. Poor Narset. I think Narset was the worst in Limited, but she was the best in Commander by a mile. Oh, for sure. So... I heard casting Time Stretch and a Planeswalker for free is fun. So let's get to the, the morph mechanic because... <laughs> Going long this, but morph, John. What does morph do? So morph is an alternate casting cost on usually creatures. There are a few cards in Time Spiral that mess with that, but it's usually on creatures. Uh, and you can pay three generic mana to play as a face down two two with no name and no creature type. That's it. And then you can pay the morph cost, the morph cost to flip it face up at any time you have priority. With the key part being that morph costs don't use the stack. Now. Morph basically in ensured that you had all these three these three mana two twos in almost every deck, and it's you play a little shell game with morphs a lot of the time because you don't know what it is, but your you know your opponent knows what it is, and you don't know if you need to kill it right away or whatever. Or you might have a morph and they have a morph, and you go, should I trade my morph for their morph? Or it it does a lot of weird things, and then morph just warps the format around them, making stuff like two threes or better really incredibly powerful because they can block morphs. And then also you get things like removal, like shock is not in the set, and other like minus two minus two effects make more hate on morphs a lot more, which is why people were really confused when we have debilitating injury as a common in Khans of Tarkir, which is one in the black for an aura that gives minus two minus two, which is a strictly worse version of dead weight, which was printed at Innistrad and SOI or Shadows of Innistrad, which is that same card but for a single black mana. Yeah, you had to kind of like they had to kind of skew it so you would want to play morphs, but not not want to play morphs because of cheap removal for them. Um, one cool fact about them is basically at five mana to flip it, that's where you would get cards that could put, like uh, favorably trade with other with morphs, other morphs specifically. One of the few exceptions is Ponyback Brigade, but I mentioned Ponyback yeah. Brigade before. It is to hard cast it straight up. It's three red, white, black for a 2-2 Goblin Warrior. Terrible stats on the face. But when it enters the battlefield or is turned face up, put three 1-1 red Goblin creature tokens onto the battlefield. So you're getting four bodies and five power and toughness across four bodies. It's more of cost yeah. to flip it up is two red, white, black. Yeah, and the Pony Bat Brigade was part of a cycle of the only three color cards at common, um, which were these morphs for casting hard casting with six mana, Flipping up was five mana, and they all, usually all had abilities when they got turned face up, or they had abilities when they hit, or something like something along those lines. Like Obzon guy, uh, which you know had the three white, black, green, four, four with lifelink. If you saw your yeah. opponent playing Obzon, you're like, which one of these is the Obzon guide? I have to kill it. <laughs> yeah, and Morph turned out to be just super useful and super powerful because being able to play creatures that normally cost like five, seven mana on turn three and then just later in the game turn them face up is very powerful like one of the best commons in the entire set was woolly loxodon which was to hard cast five green green for a six seven but it had morph and it morph cost to flip up was five in a green yeah so it was just really good a lot of games were kind of like you'd play chicken you you your opponent might chip in with two morphs and you wouldn't want to block them yeah another thing we you have to remember though is that morphs when you have them down and magic online does this for you but when you were playing a paper you have to identify which morph came out when 
in sequential yeah. order. Like it was important. You couldn't just like shuffle your things around. So a lot of times you'd see on coverage, morph one, morph two, morph, they'd, like they'd have like stickers are placed on the tokens, gener like, you know, signifying your morph, like first, second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever. So you might not want to put out your best morph. You might have like three morph cards in your hand. You don't want to play your best one on turn three because yeah. your opponent could just eat the removal or you want to put like your one of your weaker ones out just in case your opponent has a morph and wants to swing in. You'd be like, okay, I'm cool with trading this one away for right now. And the big thing with morphs is that they were colorless. So even if you had a three-color morph in hand, if you couldn't flip it up at the time, you can play it on turn three, and then by turn five or turn six or whatever, if you get the mana, you can then flip it face up. Yeah. And the morphs really helped enable these four to five color decks thrive because they always had a three mana two two on turn three. Yeah, and it, some of the cool little build around commons that led you into that, like secret plans, green and a blue, uh, face down creatures you control have, or gain plus one plus zero. Oh. So it helped make big booties, which would help you trade favorably because you can play turn two secret plans, turn three morph automatically you're already up on your opponent because their morphs won't trade with your morphs oh and when you Ooh. flip and when you flip a card face up you draw a card <laughs> yeah and secret plans cat ca ca casts for a blue and a green yeah it's playing it's, into the morph theme. it's literally just like turn two secret plans turn three morph and you're just off to the races and there were a bunch of other powerful build around uncommons like uh lsv popularized goblin slide uh, two and a red for an enchantment that whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you may pay one if you do get a 1-1 one, one Goblin with haste. Yeah, so you can go Y with that deck if you wanted to, which is kind of yeah. fun. But. Uh, some other really cool uncommons that were built around included uh, Raider's Spoils, which played well in the Warrior's deck. It's uh, three and a black for an enchantment. Uh, your creatures get plus one plus zero, oh, and then whenever you have a Warrior deal damage to an opponent, you can pay a life if you do draw a card. Yep. And that is just... And Soul Type Flare was one that looked at the butt of your card, it was a three and a green. Yeah, it was one of the toughness matters yeah, cards. Three and a green, three, four. Whenever a creature you control, toughness four greater dies, you gain four life. So a lot of times we should be playing like relatively weak power, but huge toughness creatures that you just chump in or chump block away and just gain chunks of life. It was kind of decent. Yeah. Especially if you were building like more of a controller ba control based soul tie deck. You, know, you could just put a bunch yeah. of big butt creatures out there. So, John, you mentioned Kara Bloodseeker is your favorite. Um, oh, yeah. card in K KTK. So it's one of my favorite uncommons to build around because it's just... The value that it provides is so cool. So it is two and a black for a 2-2 two -two vampire at uncommon. Uh, it has two abilities. Uh, first is whenever a creature you control with toughness four or greater dies, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. Okay. And then for two and a black and sack another creature, you can put a plus plus counter on Karu Bloodsucker. So its second ability feeds into its first ability... And eventually, when it becomes four power, four, when it becomes a four-four, it'll trigger itself when it dies. Uh, and so I was actually playing. I'm actually going to draft right now in a league because the the draft format's a league, and I'm I'm up I'm up one match, and and basically my opponent's at three. I have a four-four and bloodsucker in play. I have a hooting mandrels. I attack my opponent. They do some blocks. They go to one, and then I sack the mandrels to drain them for two. It was fantastic. Wow, sick. So for me... So Ian, what were your favorite cards well, in comics? I had a couple. My rare was Savage Knuckleblade. Big Nux himself. It's just cast for Teamer. Green, blue, red as a 4-4. Four, four. Has a bunch of abilities. Two and a green. Savage Knuckleblade gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Activate this ability only once you turn. You could also do two and a blue to return it to its owner's hand. Great way to help it fade a you know, removal spell. Or you can just pay a red and gains haste. So if you've had four mana up, you had a 4-4 four, four hasty creature... Really good. I liked him. He was part of a cycle where, based around each of the wedge colors, they had a, a gold non-legendary creature. This was the one for Teamer. I wanted him to be good in standard. Never was. So sad that it wasn't, but the other other yeah. other things were just doing better. Non-rare Mystic of the Hidden Way. That's a morph Ooh, card. Yes. That is a... Mystic is four and a blue for a 3-2 human monk uh, that can't be blocked but it has a morph cost of two and a blue. So you could have three mana, play your, play your Mystic face down. If you, f if you miss your fourth land, you could still flip it the next turn, but you would have to go attack before blocks, flip Mystic of the Hidden Way swing, or, and then get the unblockable. But it was still a great card to just straight value to get in there. Um, the, Absolutely. Definitely one of the better rare. Or definitely one of the better... Um, and then to say, this was like one that always tripped the coverage team up. 
River Wheel Aerialists. <laughs> the the River Wheel Aerialists. <laughs> yeah, like even if you were Which even is... if you were good with saying it, it would give you that weird like weird weird because River Wheel Aerialists. It it's hard to sound out, but it's a five and a blue four five flyer with prowess. I mean, not the it did a lot of games. Not the greatest card, but like it was a it was a house to finish the game. Like you you'd play River Wheel and then you'd play something like Icy Blast and just have fun. <laughs> Chunky yeah. for five and more. So final takeaways before we talk about Modern Masters. Uh, when you're drafting cons, take Fixing Highly because it's going to get taken highly. Uh, if you want to draft uh, the five-color deck, just take lands for the f- whole entire first pack and morphs, and you'll usually be okay. Uh, draft powerful three-color cards, and just don't underestimate how powerful a morph can be. Yeah. Uh, they are really good. Going three-color is not bad. Like, it's really good. My favorites are Obzon and Mardu of the of the team. Yeah. So... That's cool. Uh, by the one thing to mention is that Marshall Sutcliffe was really down on Morph when, it, when the set first came out on limited resources, and by the end of the format, he said that one of his favorite cards was Glacial Stalker, which is six mana, four five with Morph for four and a blue. Yeah, it's just this set complete. Like it was just an amazing set that evolved over time during draft. It was one of those like it wasn't solved quickly, but when no. people found the five color Morph deck, everyone's just like, all right, you you would seed the five-color morph deck to just grab, like, a two-color deck and be great. Oh, yeah. So, so new drafts. Let's move on. Modern Masters 2017. The previews start on Monday. Yes, Master sets, if you remember, are... Good season! They're draft-focused. However, they are there basically to put reprints back into the wild of cards that they can't really do because it would break standard. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one unlocks Innistrad and uh, Return to Ravnica blocks. Uh, and fun note, it will be the last set of the Masters variety, Modern Masters variety, that will come out unlocking sets before the original Modern Masters release. So the RTR block ends with Dragon's Maze, which released May 2nd, 2015. The original Modern Masters came out a month later in June of 2015. So from now on, we're going to be seeing cards that were printed after m- the Modern Masters was a thing. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be interesting. So the next one will unlock Theros and Cons. We assume. We assume. If there's an next If there isn't. That'd be 2019, so ways away. Yeah. But anyways, we know exactly three cards from the set so far because they are on the uh, booster pack art, and they are Domri Raid, a mythic from Gate Crash, which is one red and a green for a three-loyalty Planeswalker. Uh, he does a lot of things with creatures. For example, his minus two is one of your creatures fights another target creature. His ultimate gives, gives creatures a bunch of keywords that are really dumb and stupid. And his plus one draws you cards if they're creatures. Grizzlebrand, which need, he needs no introduction, really. The Grizzdad. One of the best creatures printed of all time. And then the card that has everyone's eyebrows raised, Stoic Angel. <laughs> yeah, Stoic Angel is one in a bant. That's one green, white, blue uh, creature, Angel. Has flying and vigilance for a th- with a 3-4. And it says players can't untap more than one creature during their untap steps. It was originally a rare from Shards of Alara. Yep, so I mentioned the Shards thing. Uh, so kind of playing off this, John, we kind of think since we're getting, you know, Return to Ravnica, which was a basically a gold set, gold-focused set, um, people are suspecting that this might be a gold, potentially angled set. Like, you don't print Stoic Angel, which is a rare. And A, you're not printing this at Mythic because it'd be a really bad Mythic to open. You don't put this kind of card at rare without the support for a multicolor set. I just want to say, so, she, she's going to be the feel bad open because she's only like a dollar eighty three, and a, there's always a those. foil. Well, I know, but she's a like two dollar card. Foil of hers four dollars. You're not looking for value. Yeah. This is definitely like a signal. Yeah. Now the there is card art on the box for the set because they all come in the little display boxes and uh, it shows a gentleman with a lot of blue light around him and like some electricity coming from his fingers. Everybody's assuming he's Snapcaster Mage. This will be the third Snapcaster Mage art. Remember, we can't do get a reprint directly of the old school Innistrad one because that was a invitational card art. for Tiago Rodriguez. Tiago Chan. Tiago Chan. Chan, yeah. Tiago Chan, not Rodriguez. Uh, Tiago Chan, who, you know, you can't... Like, every time that they've reprinted one of these cards, they've reprinted with new art. Taking case, Dark Confidant. Bob. Yeah. Um, great example for that one. Uh, now, I, we, we're okay. basically going to... We're already anticipating the Snapcaster is going to be in this set. Like, It's it's Innistrad. There's no card that, env- that 
embodies Innistrad, I think, more than Snapcaster Mage. Well, Liliana. But... As far as, far yeah. as rares go. Yeah. Now, we don't know anything yet because, again, we're, we're just getting ready to start getting the preview season for it. Uh, and uh, as of recording, we don't have a preview card, so sorry. Yeah. Next, we'll next time. Next time. Anyways, so we're just going to go down a list of cards that we thought of that we would like to see get reprinted in Modern Masters from Mirrodin up to RTR block. Um, we're exempting M14 because we don't think M14 is going to be in I the block. I don't believe it does, but I believe M13 unlocks. So we've mentioned yeah. some M13 cards in our cards we'd like to see because of that. Uh, well, we already mentioned one of the cards we want to see. It's Liliana of the Veil. The card needs a reprint. Can't, like, you mentioned... Oh man, we might see Liliana the Veil reprint standard. The Vorthos community comes out saying, "Dude, no, it's it's her ultimate's locked to a story event from Innistrad." So this is like yeah. the first place besides the uh, promo version that we got from the RPTQ, RPTQ promo. promo. This is going to be the first time that we can actually get a straight up legit Liliana the Veil reprint. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, next card on the list is a Voice of Resurgence, the most. The most expensive card from Dragon's Maze. Which isn't that expensive. The reason I um, said Voice of Resurgence is because usually so far in previous um, uh, Master sets, the green-white strategy has always been tokens. And Voice gets good with more creatures and tokens out. Plus, right now it's like... Oh, yeah. Here's, here's, here's a kind of a dig at Dragon's Maze. It's the most expensive card in Dragon's Maze. John, can you guess? It's 20 bucks. Not even. It's eighteen ninety nine. I'm looking at TCG mid right now, and it's nineteen. Yeah. Point being, yeah. Yeah. it's it's after after revoice, it's Ralzeric at seven fifty. <laughs> that's DGM was did not have a lot of fun things. That set play. falls off hard, but no voice would be a great card. I think it it need like I don't think it necessarily needs a reprint, but it would be a good card to print at Mythic as a like a mid range value Mythic reprint. Yeah. Um you're gonna it's you're not gonna be upset to open a voice of resurgence if you're just cracking random packs. If, especially if it's if it no. drops to fifteen, fine, that's cool. Probably pay ten bucks for your pack, maybe fifteen. You might break even, but whatever. Abrupt Anyways, decay. That's a big one. Removal. It sees a lot. It has a WMCQ promo, which does have very sick art. Um, but it's just a card that it's played in every eternal format per, for the most part. And it just needs more copies. Now it just needs to get reprinted. I wonder if they're gonna put the RTR block art or the. I think they're gonna put the RTR block WMC- if, it, if anything. I mean, WMCQ art is pretty fu- pretty sweet. It is really good. Sweet. It is really good. Um, Next up on the list is a card that people thought would happen in BFZ, but it's a little too good for standard. A goblin guide. Good old Gabo. Uh, the guide is a pretty pricey card. <laughs> It's Especially like 25 as of recording? 30. 20, 25? 30, that's what it was. 30. Yeah, it's it's a $33 card. Uh, it did spike heavily after it, like, spoilers came out that for Oath of the Gatewatch that it wasn't going to be. It was like sitting at 33 bucks then. It jumped up to 45 It's now back down to 33 It is the quintessential burn deck card. Um, more yeah. co- like It did have a non-pack printing in, it was a GP promo. It was a GP it? promo, but it also had a printing in the event deck for Zendikar. Right. That said, it's still a $35 card. It's one of the more expensive cards in Modern. It's prohibitive, I guess, quote-unquote, of a cheap burn deck. Like It's the one you're going to have to chunk yeah. out some money for. But I think this is a perfect time for Goblin Guy to get reprinted. It's We might see a red aggro deck in this probably paired up yeah. with the next card. Yeah, Wild Nacatl. I don't think it's that expensive right now. That said, Wild Nacatl is played in a lot of different strategies um, that try to be aggressive. For example, um, there were versions of the Nacatl or versions of the uh, Death Shadow aggro decks that would play Nacatls because they just have all these. They just play a bunch of shock lands, and Nacatl it gets big when you have shock. Yeah, lands, is so. the uh, uh, the zoo version of the. Uh, Death Shadow Aggro deck. Um, it was yeah. available for a reprint in the last Modern Masters set, but it had just come off the unbanned list and hadn't really seen a whole lot of play yet. Um, we did see one that came off right at the same time as Bitter Blossom. That got a reprint in the yeah. last Modern Masters, but this one didn't. So it has a, probably a pretty good chance to see that as like a low-range rare um, that... Well, it was a common. Oh, it was a common, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it was a common in Shards of Alara. Okay, so yeah. Oh, then definitely would probably see a reprint at this point. Yeah. Um, I would uh, next on the list is a card that we mentioned at the top of the show. We mentioned it just now. Is Death's Shadow. Yeah, it you know has just taken off. <laughs> the card yeah. was relatively inexpensive about a year ago. Three, three, four dollars. The deck became popular. Became popular. It spiked up to like twenty bucks, and it's back down to fifteen. But it, it's jumped up again. Like it jumped, dropped back down to seven dollars until this past weekend. But now it's a fifteen dollar card again. Could it just be another spike and drop back down to like eight? Probably, but I mean, could fit in aggro deck. We'll see if it gets reprinted here. Uh, next card is because it's kind of expensive for a common. It's common, right? Or is it uncommon? In any case, Mishra's Bobble. Mr. Bob was uncommon. It's uncommon from Cold Snap. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely needs to reprint that. It's a $20 card because it sees play in Death Shadow Aggro. And does uh, Lantern play it? Yeah, Lantern plays it. Uh, some Lantern decks play it, not the many. The winning one at GP uh, Brisbane played a full four well, Mr. Bob. <laughs> there you go. But it's a $20 card. Um, it needs to reprint. It kind of spiked heavily after. Uh, Pat Chapin made a Teamer Prowess deck in Modern like a year or two ago, and everyone's like, "Oh my god!" Bought it up. Plus, when Lantern Act, Lantern Control went huge, and Death Shadow it was all like all three of those decks right around the same time needed Mishra's Bobble, and Price Memory just stayed at twenty bucks. It's an uncommon as twenty dollars. Yeah. Last time we saw this, we got a reprint of um, Serum Visions, so yeah. it's it's coming. I would say this would probably yeah. be a decent place to reprint it. Either that or a supplemental product coming up. Oh yeah. Uh, next on the list is a Cavern of Souls, which uh, I'm not looking at the price right now, but I'm assuming it's around thirty to forty bucks. <laughs> okay, fifty. Yeah, it's about fifty bucks. Yeah, Cavern of Souls. Cavern of Souls is, is played in almost every tribal strategy. It is also a casual all-star. Fifty-five dollar. So it needs it's a fifty-five dollar card that kind of took off a lot thanks to Eldrazi Winter. <laughs> It was still expensive before it was 40, that, too. Yeah. No, it jumped after uh, Modern Master 2015 came out. A lot of some tribal strategies came out. It jumped from $25 card up to $40, um, yeah. and then had a nice little spike up to its 50-plus range after Eldrazi Winter because it's you can't counter your Eldrazi. Gross, gross. And it, ca- and it taps for C, which is important. Oh, wait. Was this, play- was this played as a way to make an uncountable Primeval Titan right after Modern Master 2015? It oh, been. that might have done it. As a un- way to have an uncounterable titan in bloom. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next up on the list, Lingering Souls, which is... It's a little on the downtick right now, but it's still a really good grindy card to grind people out in uh, in certain matchups. Yeah, and we got Innistrad coming up in this set, and one of the big mechanics of Innistrad was Flashback. It played pretty darn nicely in... Um, uh, Eternal, Eternal Masters. Masters. So my guess would be they might bring it back here as kind of a draft strategy for potential colors. Now, remember, it was in a variety of colors. We also could bring in Spider Spawning back as a deck, which would be hilarious to have in the draft. I, honestly, I think it would be hilarious for them. I think it would be a huge whiff if they didn't bring back Flashback in some sense for this draft format. It's yeah. just a great draft strategy. Um, plus, Lingering Souls is just street value. Uh, speaking of other flashback cards, uh, Past in Flames, which recently had a reprint in the Commander product, um, it's still a very popular card. Um, I could definitely see it getting a reprint here as well. Yeah, just get some more foil copies out into the world uh, for you burn players out there. We mentioned M13. Uh, we also have Thragatusk and Thundermaw Hellkite kind of on the list. Uh, Thragatusk just is a great value card, and Thundermaw Hellkite, a little bit more for the casual fan, just hasn't seen a lot of play in Modern as of late. Uh, but it can do a lot of very powerful yeah, things. Yes, Flag Tusk is your amazing cyborg card. Four and a green, five, three. When it enters a battlefield, you gain five life. When it leaves the battlefield, put a three, three beast creature token on the battlefield. You gain life when it comes. You get a do when it goes. It's just straight swag value. Yeah. Uh, the last, we have three more cards on the list. We have Chalice of the Void because it's currently like a $40 card. It needs another reprint. It was reprinted in the first Modern Masters. Along with, uh, but I think it could use another one. with Oblivion Stone. Ostone was oh, no, first right, no, we were talking about Engineered Explosives before this. Yeah. Ostone does need a reprint, though. It was printed twice in Mirrodin and the first Commander product. Yes. So it just needs it just needs a reprint because it's getting getting up there, and Tron's getting a little bit more popular, so we kind of want a little bit more a little more help for the Tron stuff. Eldrazi Tron making a big splash this weekend, coming out as like a, a potential strategy now as opposed to the old red-green versions. And last on the list... 
everybody's favorite. Is it like is it going to be a reprinted card? Damnation. <laughs> It, we would be remiss if we didn't mention Damnation. Come on. Like, it's not happening in standard. We've got to add it to the cards. We'd like to see list just because it's a permanent fixture on every single list ever. Now, yeah. John, what's Damnation for the kids at home who don't know? So Damnation is two black-black sorcery, destroy all creatures that can't be regenerated. It is literally a color-shifted Wrath of God into black, and black can do mass removal that just fine. Uh, it was printed initially in Planar Chaos, and that's it. Yep. It's, it's also a judge promo, but... <laughs> it's a drudge promo, so that doesn't help the prices at all. But it doesn't. Damnation much, is a si- card you'll see in the sideboards of many a black-based mid-range deck. Not, yeah. not. I think it's a one or two of usually, but yeah, it's just a release valve against like aggro decks, and it needs a reprint. <laughs> Wizards, please, now, one time. <laughs> another card that I thought of because it was recently banned is Golgari Grave Troll. They could have put it in this set. But then they just banned it very recently, so they might not have put it in the set. But if they did, it would be one of the biggest just, like, middle fingers to the Magic community since printing Splinter Twin in Modern Masters 2015 and banning it four months later. A little more than four months. It was in January. That came out in June. No, but kind of along the lines, I didn't put it on the list, but one that I might see just because of a tweet that came out. So Aaron Campbell of... uh, Girlfriend Bracket and Magic Mike's podcasting fame as long as being Dredge Aficionado, streamer, all-around awesome person. She said that they got their preview card and she felt personally attacked. My guess would be it's Rest in Peace. <laughs> it's either Rest in Peace or it's um, Leyland of the Void. E- one of the two. Either one potentially combos decently with countering the spider spawning decks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Call it now. Spider uh, spider spawning ma- Modern Masters 2017. Called shot. That's my called shot. That's my go. called shot for the this, this set. I mean, if it is in the set, you know who they're giving it to. BDM. Yeah. Anyways. <sighs> that was good. I am ex- a little long. I'm excited. I'm sure I'm sure y'all don't mind. So with so with the uh, the, the, the dual color set though, like land wise, my guess is we're not getting the fetches. No. They're not gonna print the fetches in a limited release set. I think we get the Innistrad fast lands. That's I could see it. Or you mean or you mean the um oh, the, the check, check lands? lands? Yeah, the check lands. My bad. Not the yeah. fast lands, the check lands. The ones that um it's the enemy pairs? Uh yeah, there's Sulphur Falls, um Isolated Chapel, Clifftop Retreat, Wooded Woodland Cemetery, and I forget the other one. Hinchland Harbor. Yes. The one I used my budget infect deck way back in the day. Yeah, yeah, so those are the ones. So we could see yeah, those. those are the ones that check not, a basic on entering the battlefield. Yeah, those could be fun reprints. I don't, I don't mind it. Yeah, not bad. But I'm excited. I'm gonna go draft some cons this weekend. I know you're gonna draft a ton of cons. I, I need. A, I still have my second league to finish up. My first league kind of crashed and burned because I got. I picked. I, first, I packed my pick one to flying crane technique, which is the Jeskai overrun because it gives all your creatures flying and double strike. Uh, and then I got past the secret plans, and then I drafted a bunch of morphs. So my my deck was 15 creatures, all of which had morph. Nice. I went one and two. <laughs> eh, you know, <laughs> happens. But it happens. It's gonna be fun. I highly recommend checking out the Magic Online. If I mean, we obviously talked about it for a while today. Like it's definitely one of my favorite. It's so fun. It's one of my favorite draft just formats. It. It's one of John's favorite draft formats. Just go play it. I mean, there's the it's best part is too is there's a ton of draft primers out there from the beginning of the format, middle of the format format wrap-ups go check it out it also has fetch lands we didn't mention fetch lands it has fetch lands in it yeah, that's that's the crazy part we didn't even meant, need to mention the fetch lands go get your go. i did pass a bloodstained mire though eh, i have to say not that expensive just go get your fetch lands <laughs> i also have like my full set of cons fetches on magic online so it didn't matter to me in any case Peace. so let's go ahead and wrap it up so ian if people wanted to find you on these social medias where can they you do guys that? can find me on twitter at dixon ij I am no longer blocked. I was just like, yeah, no, we're getting off of this. <laughs> so just add me, check me out. Uh, I might be announcing if I stream this weekend, um, considering it is cons block, I'll probably try and stream, but it might be with Lindsay. That'd be cool. Um, oh, I know she yeah. streamed with her brother this afternoon, uh, which was fun seeing them get the st- more streamers out there. Yay. Uh, you can also find me streaming at Twitch at twitch.tv slash dicks, D-I-X. And John, where can they find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at JoeWiley129 and on Twitch by the same handle. Uh, just say hi. I'm around. Um, 
If you have any questions, you can direct them to the podcast on Twitter at Eyes and the Mize, or if you have a more personal question, you can shoot us an email at eyesandthemize at gmail.com. Please give us your feedback on how we can best improve the podcast for your listening experience. Uh, next week is episode 52 of the podcast, and I believe, Ian, you are going to be out of town for that. I'll be here. Or you're going to be still, I'll be here. You'll be here? All right. Excellent. We're getting our... Because our, yeah, I know you're leaving for, like, March. Our episode. Yeah. Well, I'll be back in, like, later in the month. I'll be here for next week. I'll be gone... Let's see here. Counter, please. I'll be here next week. I'll be gone the next two weeks. Here the week after. I should be around for a couple weeks after that. And then gone for two or three more weeks. Weird training schedule. Anyways. Just follow us on Twitter. Follow the podcast on Twitter. Follow the podcast on your whatever podcasting program RSS feed you use. Absolutely. And There's a lot of yeah. them. But that's me. That's John. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next time. Hey, John here with a quick uh, little note that we forgot to mention during the Cons of Tarkir uh, recap. Uh, Don't play banners, ever. They're sometimes necessary evils, but try not to play them ever. Alright, catch y'all later.